welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode 51 of um, Tea or Books. And today we are going to be discussing two interesting topics. The first one is author parents versus author children. Which ones do we like the best in terms of when uh, a parent and their child has, have both been famous writers? Um, or not necessarily famous writers, just writers, I suppose, will do. Um, <laughs> and then... The second part, we're comparing two books. Um, Simon and I rec- uh, forced each other to read yes. um, on on the recommendation saying these were our favorite, like two of our favorite books, and we wanted the other to read them. And we're both well. I'm very nervous to know what you thought of mine. Um, I think you probably are, especially when no, I'm I quite got, nervous. Yeah, a page book. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> um, so those two books are The Boat by L. P. Hartley. And Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner. So you have to wait and see, because we haven't told each other, we promise. So we're yeah, looking forward to The seeing... big reveal will happen later. Because, we, yes, we have not only picked books we loved, but books we thought the other person would love. So yes. let's see how well we know each other. Oh, I'm nervous. <laughs> hey, Simon, how are you? What's going on? Tell uh, us all about your arrival. Uh, yes, so I have a cat now, which is very exciting. It's been basically all I've wanted in life for a long time, as everyone who knows me will know. Um, he is called Hargreaves, which is... Um, oh, my goodness. Yes, <laughs> half named after Miss Hargreaves, although I decided not to try and push the pronunciation because I thought it would never work, <laughs> <laughs> um, which, as I'm sure everyone who listens to the podcast knows, is my favourite novel by Frank Baker, um, and half named after Roger Hargreaves, author of The Mr. Men, which I also oh. love, um, and how I learned to read. And, uh, yeah, he's lovely. He's six. He's black and white and quite chunky. <laughs> um, he it was, is an X-stray and came from a local rescue centre. Um, and I can't see where he is now, but he must be in this room somewhere. Maybe he's hiding <laughs> under the table. I've not lost him already, I promise. Sunshine Cat Rescue. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's very affectionate. He's, we basically spent the entire time sat together on the sofa since he arrived yesterday afternoon. Aww. And I love him. <laughs> It's so nice. <laughs> I would love to have a dog, but you know, you just can't leave them on their own all day. It's wicked. Yeah, so, um, I'm hoping Hargreaves will be fine with being on his own most of the time. I have bought him a little cat igloo you can snuggle into, which he's completely ignored so far. So. Oh. <laughs> it might be well, too cats, small. Cats are quite solitary creatures, though, aren't they? Yes, um, they they tend to be fine on their own. Most of them, it seems, prefer it. But um, Hargreaves <laughs> has quite liked spending time with me, if only for warmth. <laughs> so, well. um, it's been a long time since we recorded an episode. Um, so, yeah, how are you? What have you been up to? Because, I mean, we recorded the the um, Boxing Day one a week or so before that. So it's been about, you know, five weeks or something since we recorded. It has, yeah, it's been really busy actually. School's been very busy. Um been busy with the university. Um I've I've put in my PhD application, so I had to, to deal with that. I know, so I've got my interview in the next couple of weeks. So I've already got a place, I just need to um sort out funding, hopefully. Um cool. yeah, so we'll see. So if anyone out there is interested in reading about um the great Victorian um railway novel of the of the mid 19th century then in about six years you'll you'll be able to do that <laughs> brilliant which will be great i thought um, you were going to say if anyone there wants to give you funding <laughs> that's probably yeah. not how we should use the podcast <laughs> crowdsourcing but, I mean, which... if anybody does then <laughs> great do we have any sort of you know elderly beneficent victorian uncle types who just <laughs> want to... <laughs> um no please don't send us your money that'd be very embarrassing <laughs> well you know i don't mind <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, just you know, same old, same old, really. And what are you reading at the moment, apart from the boat which you finished moments before we started recording? Uh, literally, I'm so, so fresh in my mind. Um, well, I'm I'm currently working my way through a book that I initially um, thought I would want the children at school to read, which is called Things a Bright Girl Can Do by Sally Nichols. It's brand new. It's about um, the suffragettes. It's a young adult book and it's about um, a group of like lots of people in Edwardian London and um, the suffragette movement and how they're involved in it. So you've got sort of wealthier people, poorer people. It's quite interesting, but um, there's there's quite a lot of um, quite explicit sexual references in there. So mm-hmm. I'm feeling that probably it's not going to be one for, for the kids I was planning on, but I'm enjoying it nonetheless. So it's very good. It's highly recommended. It's made me want to um, read more. So I don't know if you saw on my Twitter, but I, I did go a little crazy in foils the other <laughs> week. And I've also picked up a new book by Jane Robinson, who wrote Blue Stockings, which I know you enjoyed. Um, Ooh, I don't think I've Jane read Robinson. it, have I? I've, I'm I've, sure you have. I've you got know. it, but I don't think I've read it yet. You've not read it? Maybe I did and I enjoyed it, but I don't remember reading <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was years ago that it came out. Um, and she has just written a book about the about suffragettes, which I bought, and so I'm going to read that afterwards. Have you read the Persephone suffragette novel, which I haven't? I have, and it wasn't very good, to be honest. No Surrender, it's called. No, oh, it was the same. It was, I know, I mean, it's kind of, it's important in terms of, and I'm glad they republished it, because it is quite rare to have a suffragette writing a story about the suffragettes. So it does feel very kind of like relevant in terms of you understand what it was like to be a suffragette but the story is clunking as anything you know it's just it's basically her having a big speech about the suffragettes and she's very loosely created some cardboard characters to change her viewpoints on so that's the kind of book it is but if you know that going into it it's it's interesting as a piece of social history i think okay but not as a a piece of literature no yeah well, I'm currently reading uh, The Real Mrs. Miniver by um, Isenda Maxton Graham, which oh. is yeah, a biography of uh, Jan Strether. Is um, it good? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I've had it for a few years, and it was published. So it's a slightly Fox edition I've got. It was originally published uh, in 2001. Um, and Isenda Maxton Graham was the one who wrote Terms and Editions. Um, yes, I was going to yeah. say... She- the, the boarding school book. Exactly, yeah. All about a sort of oral history of girls' boarding schools, which is fantastic. And this is similarly really enjoyable and full of anecdote and absolutely no referencing or footnotes or anything like that. So, <laughs> so there'd be some, if you, if you prefer your biographies to be the Hermione Lee school of, you know, every moment is footnoted and rigorously scholarly, then it's probably not for you, but I'm enjoying it being sort of chatty and fun. And what I had, I, I think I must have once known, but had forgotten, is that um, Isenda Maxine Graham is Jan Strother's granddaughter. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, Jan Strother, which wasn't her real name, but I'll call her that for now, um, died before um, Isenda Maxine Graham was born, but obviously there's still access to family yeah. memories, all that sort of thing. Um, but the yeah. thing is, that didn't Jan Strother actually have quite an unhappy life? Well, yes, I think there are warnings that. So she's quite happy so far in the book. She, so she's just writing Mrs. Miniver now. Mm. Um, but there, yes, there are hints that it might get a lot worse. Um, yeah, because I remember reading that after I'd read Mrs. Miniver, and then it put a, a, a sad cast across the book for me. Oh, uh, yes, it does <laughs> seem like it might have been a bit of wish fulfillment. Mm. Um, 
As in, well, yes. Also known for her hymns. Did you know she wrote Lord of yes, All Hope, Miss of All Joy? Yeah. Yes, but she wasn't a Christian, which I find interesting. Yeah, so maybe a life of contradictions, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> very enjoyable. That's what the Christian yeah. called it. But, um, <laughs> Mr. Trick there. Yeah, I mean, calling it the real Mrs. Miniver when it then she then talks about how she wasn't like Mrs. Miniver <laughs> and the books weren't autobiographical. It does seem a bit of a you know sup to the publishing it. market, but. Um, but it's really fun. I'm enjoying it. Um, and also yeah. reading The Priory by Dorothy Whipple. Oh, I love that in book. In my signed edition. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Simon did send me a gloaty text with a picture of that arm, which I, I tried to in, you know, the form that that warranted. <laughs> but maybe we should do that in a future episode. Um, yes. I should like to reread it, actually. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's very long. And very heavy. <laughs> but you've got a, such a... Have you got... Is yours got a dust jacket? No. Oh, well, you can't have it all, can you, Can't Sam? have it all, can't have it all. <laughs> you seem thrilled that it doesn't have a dust jacket. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Right, well, um, I guess the Jan Struthers granddaughter being a sender Max and Graham is a sort of segue into our first topic. Yes, indeed. Um, of literary families. This is a, question, a, a topic suggested by um, Paul and Kirsty, um, and um, I had a few initial people I'd written down, and in fact they suggested a few when they sent it in. But um, should I start? Because you you weren't so sure. <laughs> yeah, seeing as I've literally had five minutes to think about this, yeah, I'm not so great. Whereas I think you'll you'll be you might uh, kind of spur me on. <laughs> Uh, well, the ones that the modern ones that come, of course, first to mind. I say, of course, but may come first to mind are Kingsley Amos and Martin Amos. But yes. I've read nothing by either of them. Um, no, and I've only read one book of Martin Amos's, which I found in the kitchen of my halls of residence when at university. Um, I don't know why it was there or who left it there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I took it and I thought, okay. Being a, a diligent English degree student, I thought I probably should read something by Martin Amos. Um, and I hated it. Oh, so, what was it? Was it money? No, it was. I, I remember the front cover had like aspirin on the front, but I can't remember <laughs> what it actually was called. I mean, it obviously didn't leave much of an impression other than that. I know I didn't like it. <laughs> so I listened to um, Fox on Fiction a while ago, Sebastian Fox sort of giving an overview of 20th century fiction. I don't know, pre that as well. Um, anyway, Victorian and 20th century fiction. And he does devote quite a lot to money by Martin Amos and really liked it. And I think quite a lot to, I want to say Lord Jim by Kingsley Amos, but I can never remember. Yes, that's yeah. right. Okay, yeah. I know there's Lord Jim and there's Lucky Jim and one's by Comrade and one's by Kingsley Amos. Oh, yeah, no, but, Lucky Jim yeah. is Kingsley Amos, Lord Jim is Comrade. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I've not, not read either of them, um, nor am I ever likely to. But so, but putting them off, off the table, because we don't know much about them, um, there are a few of my favourite authors who do come from literary families. So E.M. Delafield, her mum was Mrs. Henry de la Pastia, um, who wrote a, in the time, extremely popular children's book called The Unhappy Family, um, and I think wrote various other books as well. Have uh, you read it? I have read it, um, and I remember it being sort of exactly what you'd expect a story about a Victorian family to be, in sort of fairly good fun, but with this strong moral type of book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have another of her books which I have not read and can't remember the title of. So, but, but it was, but yeah, quite a literary family in that. Uh, M. Delafield's daughter, of course, wrote Provincial Daughter, 
So three generations oh, yes. of writers yeah. that I've read. Um, I mean, it's no surprise there that Ian Delafield is my favourite, but does she count as the mother, mother or the daughter in that? I don't know. <laughs> um, and then I also, I shouldn't rush through all of mine today. I'll give one more before you you come back with, I'm sure, hundreds that you've now thought of. Oh, God. <laughs> um, of uh, Daphne du Maurier being the... Oh, uh, yes. Let me get this right. She was the daughter of George du Maurier, who was the son of Gerald du Maurier, or is it the other way around? I think that's right, because Gerald de Maurier was writing in the early 19th century, I think. So So he wrote Trilby and yeah. various other things, and then his son was a theatre director, and then she yes. was... Yeah. Yes, I feel like Gerald de Maurier would have been far too old to have been Daphne de Maurier's. Okay, so it's not a, not quite a father and daughter, but another literary family. Yeah. Um, and I... Did, did, I have to, uh, did Daphne de Maurier have children? I can't remember. She did, but I don't think they were writers. Okay. And her sister wrote a book that I've been meaning to read. But um... Yes. What was that? It's like the other de Maurier or something. Yeah, the other sister or the... Um... Yeah, the other, yeah, something interesting. Um, yeah, so who have, you, um, who have you come up with? Okay, so I've got a couple. Um, Virginia Woolf and Leslie Stephen. Oh, yes, of course. a famous writer. Uh, though he was non-fiction rather than fiction. He was one of those, you know, Victorian everyman who yeah. wrote, wrote, knew everyone and wrote the Oxford. Didn't he write the Oxford Dish, Dictionary of National Biography or something like that? Uh, he edited it, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Francis Trollope and Anthony Trollope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Anthony Trollope's mother um, was quite a well-read and well-known writer in her day. She was writing more in the, sort of the 1830s. And I think her most famous book is about a trip that she made to America and sort of a precursor to, to Dickens's notes mm-hmm. um, on American, his visit to America. Um, I'm, I'm really drawing a blank though at the, at others. I mean, I can't think of any. Well, I'm trying to think who else. So A. O. Milne's son, Christopher Milne, Chris Robin wrote a few books. Yeah. I mean, I mean there, with some of these, like with him and with, um, and to an extent with E.M. Delafield's daughter, it's more they're writing about being a famous person's son or daughter, I guess. So it's not yes. quite the same. Oh, I've just thought of somebody. Who gave for it? Uh, Mary Shelley and uh, Mary Wollstonecraft. Of course, yes. Yeah. Good. Um, and they very different sorts of books. So yes. certainly both famous in their own right. Absolutely. Um, uh, I think one of the more unusual ones, to my mind, is Angela Ferkel and Colin McInnes. I may be mispronouncing that. Um, do you do you know Colin McInnes? No, I have not heard of him. So he wrote, um, I think he wrote sort of thrillers and things, I could be wrong about that. Oh, um, actually, no, now you've said that, that rings a bell. I feel like I've seen a cover, a thriller cover with his name on. Yeah, um... Oh, it says here that I'm just looking at Wikipedia. Yes, because it said Angela McHale, but yes, that was her. Yes, name, she's her? the sister yes. of Dennis McHale. She is another literary family. Yeah. Um, and I think Angela and Colin were uh, estranged, but still related. Oh, no, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, you can hear in the background Hargreaves scratching my chair. Don't do that, Hargreaves. Yeah. Need to get you a scratching <laughs> post. <laughs> um. 
And E.F. Benson's entire family wrote as Dragon Tail, brothers, sisters, parents, yeah. or, and all. Um, I've never quite worked out for any long period of time who was related to whom quite, but I do have books by various of them. And then you get some people like Stella Benson, who completely different family. <laughs> yeah, And you've got the Sitwells and the Wolves, obviously. Yeah. Uh, not the Wolves, the Stevens siblings. Um, and, oh, I suppose, uh, uh, like the... Um, who Adrian Bell wrote, and obviously Virginia Woolf wasn't his mother, but you've got the family connection there. He uh, wrote yes, yeah. Corduroy and all of which is lovely book. So um, is he one of Vanessa Bell's children? Yes, he is one of Vanessa's children. And his wife is the woman who edited all the diaries, Virginia Woolf diaries. Oh, right. That's Anne Olivier Bell. Oh, I'm just looking this up, and Adrian Bell on... Wikipedia, and he's the son of a newspaper editor. Are you sure he's the same? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Vanessa Bell not mentioned on his page, but could well be. <laughs> I'm sure he was part of the family. Maybe I'm wrong. I've got a feeling in the past that I've made this, I thought he was and he wasn't, but let's take a little interlude whilst I Google it. Vanessa Bell, here we go. Um, her children were Julian, Quentin and Angelica. Oh, it's Quentin Bell you're thinking of. I was thinking, I thought that Adrian Bell was Quentin Bell's son. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm, I don't think so. Oh. Well, that's just shattered all my illusions. <laughs> I thought he was a family member. Too many bells. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do Quentin Bell right then, or not? He wrote a biography of Virginia Woolf. I didn't know what. And in fact, he wrote a book about the Blooms Group that I read it, uh, last year, which was good. But I don't know if he wrote anything other than books about his relatives. Well, there we are. That's a shame. And Angelica Garnett, of course, has written, but again, just about the family. As well, Henrietta Garnett, who is her daughter, has written a novel called Family Skeletons, that, um, possibly other ones, but I've, I've got that one and I've yet to read it. Oh. Oh, yeah, Quentin Bell is the one who's married to the person who did the diaries. Oh, OK. I was looking him up, yeah. Um, and Virginia Nicholson... Who is he? Wrote he writes history stuff. Is their daughter? Ah, okay. So, so many connections. Yeah, oh, I think I read her book about sing- singled out about single. Yeah, singled out. Yes. Really good. That was good. Um, do you think there was used to be more of this sort of family families all being writers, or do we just know about more of them because we don't know that much about the more recent ones? <laughs> I think probably you know in the Victorian times and and such like it was. You know, publishing, I still think probably publishing is a bit of an old boys club, certainly in, in the UK. But I think it would have been easier and more natural to be a writer mm. if your mm. family members were a writer, because you'd have the the in with the with the publisher. And also, I suppose if you grow up around that environment, you're interested in it, you see it happening all the time. It becomes something that you dabble in um, and with less of a formal education uh, especially for women, it's, it would have been, yeah. I guess, perhaps a more natural fit to, to do what your parents have done. But I think nowadays, I suppose, people have so many more options about what they want to do, and it's, I think, it's a bit frowned upon now to do to do the same thing as your parents, isn't it? Yeah, I do sometimes um, think when uh, an actor's child goes into acting, or mm. Even I remember going to see Frida Plath talk, who was uh, Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath's daughter, and she was a poet. You just think, 
you've got a lot to live up to there. Is it yeah. worth it? Is it going to work out? Um, and I guess there's always that mantle of expectation. And now, because we're so far distant from them, we don't think, oh, Daphne de Maurier, she was the daughter of a famous man and a famous grandfather. To our she's now probably the most famous of the three. Um, certainly, uh, to the sort of, you know, public at large, much more likely to have heard of Rebecca than Trilby, I imagine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe they had all these sort of expectations that we don't think about anymore. Yeah, and I think also, you know, it's a danger, isn't it, to do what your parents have done? Because especially if your parent is incredibly successful and famous and you then try your hand and people will always compare you to your parent or say, well, they're not mm. as good or they're, you know, that their writing is too similar or it's too different or it wasn't what people expected. You're always going to have that element of comparison. And I don't think you're ever going to break free of that. I mean, certainly if you look at famous Hollywood dynasties, for example, the the children are still even when the children are in their 60s and 70s still compared to their parents so i think it's a bit of a, a poisoned chalice really you've got on the one hand you've got a an automatic leg up but at the same time you're never going to be your own person or recognized on your own merits yeah it's true um and there's some people not parents and um, children but you know um who are those famous literary sisters as by it and Oh, Margaret Travel. Uh, that's right, yes. I was thinking yeah. Margaret Forster, but it's Margaret Travel, isn't it? Uh, who, um, it's always a story there about whether they've, you know, fallen out or reconciled and all sorts of things. And it's yeah. probably their, their relationship is no different to very many siblings who don't see that much of each other and, you know, yeah. don't hate each other and don't, aren't really, really close. But it becomes a, it becomes a story that is supposed to be inf- to inform all of their writing and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's, that kind of side of things becomes more prominent than their actual work, which must be quite annoying. I think it's, um, yeah, I don't know whether it's, it's something people, I can't really think of anyone nowadays where I think, oh yes, that's their parent is famous for having written this or the other. And I just, I think if I were in that position, I just wouldn't want to go there. It is interesting, particularly, I, mean, there's, I guess there's those who have decided that they just want to, like, particularly provincial daughter, I guess, decided I'm just going to fit right in to my parents' legacy. There must be some who try and resist it. Um, I, didn't, I can't think of, of the ones we've mentioned, except for maybe Colin McInnes, of, of those who've tried really hard to distance themselves from their parents. No, I don't think so. I think it's quite... Um... It's quite interesting, actually, that so many of the pairings we can think of, particularly contemporary ones, are are writers writing about their parent in some way. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously an element of pride and happiness and desire to continue the family name and family reputation there. So it, it's probably quite a gift to have a parent, especially if you're not interested in fiction writing, you're just interested in non-fiction writing, then it's a it's great to have... You know, famous parent, brilliant. Go upstairs, get all their letters out the la- out the attic. <laughs> book put in a few, yeah. <laughs> yeah, book number one's what's done. You can put in a few juicy reminiscences and <laughs> good to go. I mean, it, and a lot of the time, it's a it's an instant seller, isn't it? People love reading biographies about famous writers, and they love having the family connection and knowing that that person really knew them. Because so often with biographies there is an element of sterility to it because it's a 
biographer making surmises about what may have happened based on information that they only can see the what's written down on the page they don't know that what really happened beneath the surface yeah and some of the reasons that i really love those biographies or memoirs that are from an unusual perspective um of someone who knew the author in a you know a way that no one else could and i, I think i've talked before um one of my favorites is a book called by, about Ivy Conter Burnett by Cicely Gregg, who was her secretary. Oh. Um, and they sort of, they became friends as well, but for, um, and knew each other for several decades, but there's nobody else who could have written that book. There's no researcher who could go and write about that relationship in that way. Um, and in fact, I've just bought one and I can't remember who wrote it, but it's about a friendship with, um, Muriel Spark. It's just come out and it's called something Arezzo. Arrival in Arezzo, appointment in Arezzo. Appointment. Oh, I think I saw that in the bookshop. Yeah, um, I think it was dramatised on Radio Four, and, and now it's a, now it's a book. But um, he was a a friend of Muriel Sparks. Um, I think they were, I think they started off being her agent. No, that can't be right. Oh no, a journalist went to interview her and then became friends. I think that's yes, right. that's right. I think I read a review of it somewhere. And that goes straight onto my. Uh, shelf of authors known through I think I talked a while ago about the one where the book I read about H.G. Wells by his children's governess that sort of yeah. thing, love it um, I veered wildly off topic now but, <laughs> but <laughs> I do really enjoy reading um, books about authors if they do have that literary family because if it's just somebody who's you know, husband had an ordinary job children had ordinary jobs just, you know, in every other way a normal person i mean that's great but it's it's less sort of gossipy and fun than if it's like the booms group where absolutely everybody was famous and everyone's relative was famous and i was thinking this when i read sarah knight's biography of david garnett that every person mentioned had had all their diaries and letters published basically like the resources were endless (laughs) it wasn't like you had to guess about these people that's a gift yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, would I would I read uh, a book by somebody just because I, I loved what their father had done or vice versa? I'm not sure that I necessarily would. For some reason, I think I'd be more likely to read a book by the child of someone famous, perhaps because of the, them growing up in that, that world mm. and being able to have a relationship, particularly if it is autobiographical in some way. Whereas I don't think finding out that someone's parents had also written books if I liked the the child already, as it were. Yeah. I don't think that would particularly interest me. I mean, I have gone and got Ian Delafield's mum's books just for a bit of interest, but I think I was much more interested in her daughter's book. Um, similarly for AML, it's, I, I think it's great that there are biographies by his son so I can read about his life from that angle, whereas, I mean, his dad didn't write anything. But, um, but, but H.G. Wells was his math teacher, so there you go. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> the connections are endless. Aren't they just? Um, so, to, to that extent, I guess I will pick child, but I'm not sure that's quite how the question was, but I'm just going to use that as a get-out clause. <laughs> I think I'm the same for you, because uh, for the same reason as you, because I think it's interesting to see the the pattern of, of the parent in the child, whereas the other way around, you can't really see it, so it's not as interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let us know if we've missed any really obvious examples. I'm sure we have. We have a glaring <laughs> one. <laughs> Probably by an author that we've already mentioned in the episode, but it's usually yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think we're ready for the for the second half, Rachel. Oh, I, I am feeling quite nervous. I'm really nervous. <laughs> so, as a reminder, just to draw it out a bit longer, um, <laughs> Rachel and I had a, 
message saying, let's recommend a book that we like, that we think the other person will really like. And I chose, um, I chose The Boat by L.P. Hartley for Rachel to read, and she chose Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner for me to read. Who's going to go first? <laughs> you go first, you go first. <laughs> Actually, should we summarise them first? No, no stop I'll it. I really, really liked it. <laughs> you, you, I'm so relieved. Yes. <laughs> um, I'll just explain what it is about as well. So it's a book written in the 80s, but mo- mostly set in the 30s. Is mm-hmm. it? Um, it's about two couples um, called Charity and Sid and Sally and Larry, um, who... Um, the men of those pairs are both uh, teachers at a university in America. Um, the women are both housewives, I think. And well, no, one's a mother and one becomes a mother. Um, and it's basically it starts off just being about their friendship um, and how they get to know each other. Um, it then eventually goes forward to present day, where there are various other trials and things going that we will come to later. But um, it was just. A really lovely depiction of friendship, and you don't get many books about friendship, particularly that are uh, this. There's yeah, there's very little of um, unpleasantness or malice or anything in this. And if if you hadn't recommended it to me, I'd have been waiting for them to fall out and everything to go wrong, or someone to you know murder someone or something. But I knew because you recommended it <laughs> that probably it was going to be nice. Um, and it, the original setup it made me think of quite a lot of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. So it's like that, but if everyone's nice and likes each other rather than <laughs> screams at each other for hours. Um, well, yes, yeah, so we'll discuss that more in a minute, but Rachel, put me on my misery. Well, so um, I, I did actually, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, in, I, I love the writing and the characterisation is brilliant. Um, I just did feel it was it was too long. Yeah. And okay. the ending for me there's a particular character which I'll explain in a minute that I hear, I just didn't see the point of. But um, I'll explain the plot. I'll take that. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, so the boat is set in 1940, and it's about um, Timothy Casson, who is a 50s, 60 year old man who is he's unmarried and he's he obviously can't fight in the war. And he's moved, he has to move back. He's been living in Italy for 20 years and obviously because of the outbreak of war, he has to move back to England and he takes the lease of this beautiful house in the village. And the reason why he takes the house is because he loves to, to row and he's got this beautiful boat and the house has got a boat house and it's on it. The garden runs down into a river and he's like, brilliant. I'm going to be able to row my boat. It's going to be wonderful. Problem is, when he arrives, he finds out that actually rowing his boat on the river will be much frowned upon by everybody. And if he wants to make any friends in the village, he he won't be able to to row his boat at all. So this is the basic premise, which, you know, seems rather strange. But then (laughs) somehow 500 pages pass and um, (laughs) you're involved in in the life of, of this village and Timothy and his attempts to to kind of find a place for himself, really, and to be accepted by this community of people who are, lots of them are quite gentry, they're the gentry and they are stuck in their ways and they're quite snobby. Um, and it's interesting because Timothy learns a lot about himself through the assumptions that he makes about other people and the friendships that he makes. Um, and yeah, it's, it ended quite, I was quite surprised by how, how it finished, I have to say. I wasn't expecting that. But I won't yeah. say how because well, it's it, too it, much. But it's quite dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Crossing to Safety first because these are yeah. these are very different books. But I think yes. um, 
and in tone and everything else but um they do share a similarity that they start with people coming to new places and trying to fit in yes or, um which is probably about the only similarity they have <laughs> but um but yeah i i think the um what a segment i hadn't heard of until you recommended this his his writing is so beautiful mm. um and it's the things he's describing are very ordinary it's people moving to a new home and then going to a party to to see who their new neighbours and things are, and making this friendship. Um, that's sort of the bulk of the first third of the book, I guess. Yeah. Um, but each sentence is so beautifully perceptible. I wish I'd written down examples, but it, it's... Um, each one's like a little poem, but w- without being overwritten or dense in any way, because you, you can read it quite quickly, and then every now and then I just slow myself down and think, this is really beautiful, I should be appreciating the writing more um and just really nice yeah. people you don't get books about nice people being nice with each other <laughs> very often and then, it, um particularly not when they're all also really well drawn characters and um and not annoying <laughs> and there are a few flaws that come out later um which one's it charity um yeah. has a is a bit controlling um that's, that's probably about it, really, for the, for the flaws. <laughs> but, um, uh, and there's certainly some events that happen later, which we we'll, may hint at later. But, um, yeah. but yeah, no, it's lovely. How did you first uh, find out about it? I think somebody, rec- I think my friend Ellen recommended it to me. Um, he was my friend from New York. And um, I read it and I just remember crying my eyes out. I just loved it. And I'm just like you, it's just, it's just a book for me. It's just, it's essentially just about what matters the most in life. And it's about the people that you have relationships with. It's not about what you necessarily achieve, but it's about the effects that your life has on other people. And it was so wonderful to read about people who remain friends for all of their lives mm-hmm. and through ups and downs. And, you know, sometimes you do get annoyed with people or you find out something about someone that makes you think differently of them, but you kind of, the affection that bound them together kept them going. And I just thought it was wonderful evocation of four lives well lived, you know? Yeah. And I think a really good transition from, um, you know, the bright smiles of trying to make friends with people that we don't know much about them to really believably being about people who've been friends for decades. Yeah. Um, you sort of feel their comfort with each other and their, you know, the irritations of sort of being ironed out into, you know, in jokes and things, I guess. Yeah. Um, in contrast, T- Timothy Casson in the boat very much remains fish out of water, excuse the pun. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, one of the reasons, well, I think perhaps I shouldn't have recommended it for this because I think it's a book that you really can't rush at any point. It has to be read at a leisurely pace. And I read it over several months along with various other books. Um, But I I mean, the things I liked about it were firstly, like the pacing. I did enjoy that it was this slow meandering in many ways, river like (laughs) book. And and the theme of the boat would just emerge every now and then you're like, Oh yes, there's this whole boat thing going on. It sort of tied the narrative together without, being the focus of it for much of it and then i just found it extremely funny a lot of the time i don't know if you oh yeah it's yeah. absolutely hilarious the dialogue between the characters particularly the uh the servants i love um, the servants was yeah. 
absolutely i mean on a, it has me in stitches it's so funny and you you can really fit, hear their voices coming through the text so his his lp hartley is, is a brilliant writer and his mm-hmm. wonderful characterization and the writing itself is beautiful and you could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just reading it and just but it's one of those books that you'd sort of pick up before you go to bed and read 10 pages and just mm-hmm. watch it then come back to it because there isn't a, a sort of urgent story no definitely not you're not reading it to oh goodness what's going to happen next it's not that sort of book um but it's i found it really interesting actually as a commentary on perhaps british society in many ways because i mean there are a lot of stereotypes about nations but i I do think there is much to be said about english people being quite reserved and i think we are as a nation quite reluctant to not out of unkindness, but I just think we're all so very aware of not wanting to be a burden on anyone hmm. um, or not wanting to inconvenience anyone or be a bother that, that I think a lot of the time that reticence prevents people from making relationships with each other. And it's that kind of issue that's at the heart of this book that Timothy assumes that nobody will want him to mm-hmm. do do this or nobody will want to let him row he assumes that nobody will want to see him and actually it's by his assumptions that actually prevent him from living the life that he wants and that's what comes out towards the end of the book he has this realization actually it has been my fault all along yeah and that's works its way out sometimes in um quite amusing scenes like a missing letter or something that yeah. means he ends up writing extremely rude letter to a neighbour who's parked his car or is that right or kept his horses yeah. or dogs or I don't know. It was the dogs. It was dogs, the dogs yeah. Um so he's burning his bridges very early on by mistake. Um mm. then there's um that lovely old lady I can't remember her name. Who's is Chadwick? Who you owns the house? No, she's not that lovely. There's another neighbour who just pops by and gives him advice every now and then. Oh, Mrs. Fairbright, the rector's wife. Yes, she was yeah. mad and fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but it's not without really touching scenes. Like when the evacuees come, I thought it was lovely. Like yeah. his, he, there's a couple of evacuees who come for a bit, and then the the parents come and take them away again. But um, you see the sort of I guess microcosm of a life that he hasn't lived because he hasn't had children, um, and his relationship with the gardener as well is quite sweet until yeah. like, the class issues come in and it all goes a bit awry. And it, I mean, his relationships with his servants are brilliant and the servants are amazing. They cry all the time and they're the slightest thing, like when he says, oh, you know, I might have some guests to come to stay and, and they say, and the cook says, well, I, I couldn't manage if you had guests. And yeah, they're forever the giving their notice. Yes. Yeah, forever <laughs> giving their notice and so they really hold him ransom and he can't do anything because of these servants it's, it's hilarious that they're employed to do what he wants but in fact they end up ruling him because he won't yeah. dare to say anything um and it is it's it is hilarious and it very much is a picture of, of the british psyche i felt in many ways and i enjoyed it very much and i loved the characters and i loved the evocation of village life um but I, I have to say, I thought that the, the, the all of the twists and things, they came too quickly at the end. And mm. I'd never really quite understood what the point of Vera was. Yeah, so um, do you want to explain who she is? Yeah, so Vera is this young woman who comes to stay in the village and nobody really knows why. And she's very beautiful, etc. And t- poor old Timothy falls in love with her immediately. And she sort of strings him along for ages. And I mean, it's obvious that it's never going to work out because he's 60 and she must be in her 20s or 30s mm-hmm. or something. And never quite specifies how old she is. 
Um, and she's just, he's becomes obsessed with her. His whole happiness depends on her. Um, and then, I mean, is she a communist? I don't understand. Yeah. I... So without giving everything away, basically she's trying to, um, I guess destroy the neighborhood <laughs> through, yeah. through the boat eventually. But, um, let, I think she leaves some surprises there for people who want to read it. Cause I mean, it's not a, a book to read expressly for the plot but as you say right. there are a few more twists and turns at the end um which i thought worked because we'd had so many mentions of the boat throughout that you could sort of feel like something significant had to happen with it it was a bit yeah. silly <laughs> and a bit over the top but um i don't know i just, I, I sort of just went with it too little yeah. too late really for me yeah in terms of plot yeah yeah um it's interesting that both books sort of tendentially about the war but not really so this mm-hmm. one's happening during the war um but he's too old to fight and that's why he's yeah, that's right isn't it um yeah 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 and, it, and that's why his column's been cancelled or rather his foreign columns he wrote yes. about italy but it's a, yeah he now has to write about good old um digging for victory and stuff yeah um and in um in uh, crossing to safety it's it's quite a long time after the First World War, but the effects of it are still being felt on everyone, and this, this also this sense of the next war yeah. looming to an extent. So it is very much that in-between period. Um, but like any young couple or young people getting their first jobs, it, they're very focused on themselves rather than yeah. the external world, understandably. So there's a lot about whether or not they'll get tenure, which I don't really understand, but I understand it's an important thing in American universities. So <laughs> Suddenly, the you must publish or or you're out thing I do understand <laughs> because it seems yeah. much the same way now um, from academic friends I've spoken to and and you know during my D field there was sudden talk about published X Y Z these times. But um, what do you think the um, the title refers to? I I, I think I know what the title refers to of the boat, but if we're crossing <laughs> the safety, <laughs> I think I mean for me it's it's kind of like. You know, life is, is this kind of, I suppose, a river that you can carry mm. you away. And I felt like it was the safety, like the bank of their lives was, that was each other. Yeah. I sort of, a while ago, well, a long time ago, I read Two People by A.M. which is basically a portrait of a marriage, which is very much like his marriage. And in it, he talks about marriages going from these one level of, um, you know, passionate love and, you know, infatuation to one of comfort and trust. And it's getting between those two sort of levels that is where the crises in marriages often happen. I think that's where his crisis in marriage was happening. And in some ways, that's what this felt like to me, not ne- not just in their marriages, but in their friendships. The crossing to safety was getting from, you know, the young, everything's possible, what eventual life is, to the older, we've had these knocks, we've had these things happen, but we're dependably friends slash husband and wife depending on which pairing you're doing crossing to safety is getting from one to the other there maybe oh well. interesting interpretation yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah um the one thing i wasn't sure that i particularly needed in the book was the section in florence well, well i liked that section I mean, I enjoyed doing it. You know, you know my feeling about people writing about countries they're, they're not from. Yeah. <laughs> I always struggle with it. Um, and I have been to Florence, so at least I can picture some of it. But um, I felt like it didn't give me as much as the other bits did. And I would have happily have had longer bits in 
before and after that and just going from one to the other. Yeah, well, fair enough. I, I quite enjoyed it because it showed their sort of delight in the opportunity to travel, which, you, you know, we take for granted nowadays. That's true. I suppose in the 30s it was quite unusual, um, particularly for not super wealthy people. Yeah, and to get to spend a year somewhere. Yes, well, you did it yourself, of course. Yeah. <laughs> How long were you in America for? A year, yeah. A year, yeah. So yeah. long ago now, I mean, goodness. Yeah, you're very old. I know. <laughs> yeah. I am older than you, so calm down. Well, only by a fraction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, have you read anything else by Stegner? Do you know what? I haven't. I keep meaning to read Angle of Repose, but... I haven't got around to it yet. I think I'm so scared of not loving one of his other yeah, books as yeah. much. Well, flicking into the little synopsis, he seems to have written quite a lot, or at least four or five books, maybe with lots of non-fiction as well. Yeah. I think he's much more famous in America than he is here. Well, certainly when I... I can't remember where... Maybe it's just in the last broadcast or I put it on Instagram or something. Lots of people were saying how much they love this book and I was thinking, how have I not heard about it before? Yeah. Hmm. But I hadn't before, my friend Ellen told me. But it's interesting about the boat, because L.P. Hartley, I always assumed he'd only just written The Go-Between. I thought he was a, a one-book wonder. Yeah, that's certainly the only one that anyone knows about, isn't it? And mm. it was, I can't remember, in fact, I got the book here, let's see. Um, John Murray published, uh, or published quite a few of them a few years ago, so I've got um, The Perfect Woman, I think, A Perfect Woman, um, and The Betrayal also waiting for me. Have, have you got the ones that have got the nice sort of vintage style covers? Yes, yeah, that's the, yeah, the beautiful, got. um, I think that's, well, yes, it's one of the reasons I picked it up was how beautiful the cover is. It looks like those yeah. sort of old railway posters in a yeah. way. Yeah. Um, but I actually read it first after we are trains versus boats episode <laughs> when, oh. when Jonathan, um, I think it was Jonathan, sorry, it wasn't, uh, said in the comments that this was the best boat book he'd read. Um, so, yeah, the, the theme that you marked became a great success for me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the only other one I've read is The Go-Between, which I read a few years ago. I love The Go-Between. It's one of my favourite novels. I really liked it, but I think I prefer The Boat. Um, oh, no, I love yeah. The Go-Between. It's just so sad. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm always a bit of a sucker for a, a funny book. <laughs> <laughs> But the reason I chose this, thinking that you'd love it, is because it has that sort of um, interesting cast of characters mm. and a nice, you know, a, a, a community setting. Um, and yeah. I think of you as liking the sort of the long, slow books as well, even if it's not yeah, perfect for um, trying to get through for a podcast. Yeah, I mean, I very much enjoyed the reading experience and I loved sort of sinking back into it and hearing the voices of the characters. And I've just found, I mean, every time the servants came on or Wimbush, I was just in oh, tips. Glorious, and Nelson, yeah. the policeman, oh, they were brilliant. Yes. <laughs> He's so good at, at really creating individuals in just a little bit of dialogue, just these phrases that they that they use. And I was in fits. I was hilarious. <laughs> so good. Um, and why did you, I mean, you know that I liked it now, but um, why did you choose Crossing to Safety for me? I thought that you would appreciate the heart behind the book. Because I think if something moves me emotionally on a, like, on a deeper level, I feel like we share the same kind of ideas on that front. So I would imagine yeah. you would have liked it too. And you're right. Yes, I think it is just, friendship is such an important thing. Um, and yeah. people just don't seem to write about it very much. No, they don't. Uh, so, 
I was just explaining about this yesterday to my friend about the book I was reading for school that I mentioned earlier, Things a Bright Girl Can Do. And I said, you know, why do all books have to come down to romantic relationships? Why can't you just have a book that's about a wonderful friendship? Yeah. I think a lot of people's, you know, friendships last longer than their marriages nowadays. Well, indeed. Yeah. So, yes, any books about friendship, please do recommend them, listeners. Great. Well, now we come to the decision. I suspect, well, who knows? Villessi, um, between the boat and crossing to safety. I, I did really enjoy crossing to safety, but I, I'm still going to pick the boat as my favorite of the, my favorite of the two. Well, I'd have to still stick with crossing to safety, but I did like the boat very much. Yes. An unsurprising result there, but that was, I think we can consider that a success. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but yes, it's quite nerve wracking, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting to see what the other things, but we should try it again sometime. Yeah. Um, in the next episode, we are doing two Penelopes. We are doing um, Penelope Lively's novel, According to Mark, versus Penelope Fitzgerald's novel, The Bookshop, yes. both of which are quite short. So that'll be... <laughs> Good to me. Um, yeah. Um, and hopefully you will help disentangle the Penelopes for anyone who, like me, got them confused for many years. Yes. I mean, um, it's very confusing. Once you throw in Penelope Mortimer, who knows what's going on? I know. <laughs> well, we do soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. And I've decided, new year, new me, I'm going to be good at reminding people where our blogs and things are because everyone else's podcast starts by, you know, or ends with a, a litany of social media places. We should, should at least say which blogs we write. <laughs> so, um, I'm at stuckinabook.com. Rachel, where can they find you? Uh, books now. .wordpress.com, uh, I think. I yes, know. that is correct. That is the URL. <laughs> I'm not very good at this sort of thing. <laughs> um, and all the books and authors we've mentioned in this episode are at stuckinabook.com. Um, but we will speak to you next time about the Penelope's. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.